You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Hey, today... Um, I'm going to continue a message that I did last week called The Pursuit of Presence. And I want to encourage you, if you missed last week, please go on the podcast or the YouTube, man, listen back to it, because this is part number two. And um, this past week, I had a message planned. Uh, in fact, I kind of had this message planned for a few weeks, and I was just going through it, kind of finalizing it. And uh, I got it finalized um, on Thursday around noon and was ready to go. And uh, by Thursday night, uh, the anointing on that message had just lifted and I knew, uh, okay, Lord, that's not the message for this weekend. And so I just began to pray. I just told our team, hey, I need, to, I need to take the night in the morning and just pray and seek God about what he needs to say this Sunday. And so uh, by Friday, kind of mid-morning, God had given me a fresh word, something that he wanted to say. And so, I, of course, I said, yes, sir. And so uh, we're going to push that other message back maybe another week or two. But for today, uh, this is going to be the Pursuit of Presence Part 2. One of the things we say here to buy church, if you're new here, maybe you haven't heard me say this before, is we show up with a game plan. Yeah, we have plans and preparations, but our plan at Abide Church is always plan B, and God's plan is plan A. And so if we show up and, and we have a plan going this way, and God says, hey, I need you to adjust that plan. Hey, I need you to speak on something differently. Hey, I need you to do something differently. Uh, our response is yes, sir, because we're going to be a church that walks in obedience to him, even if it's uncomfortable. We're not going to walk in uh, comfortable disobedience. Amen. Uh, we're going to walk in uh, obedience, even if it means getting out of our, our comfort zone a little bit. So today, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to two different passages of Scripture. Uh, you can go to um, Second Chronicles, if you want to go there. And the other one is going to be Exodus 33. In fact, if you go to Exodus 33, that's the one we're going to be in the most at the end of our, our message today. But uh, today, I simply have two points for you as we continue in the pursuit of presence. Last week, I told you a story from the life of King David found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we talked about how one of uh, King David's first things that he did when becoming king is he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to get the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and I'm going to bring it back to Israel. And David brings, brings back the Ark of God to Israel. And on his way back, every six steps, they are sacrificing an animal in holy reverence to the presence of God. And we talked about how it was a seven and a half mile journey and how it, 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 that was a quite a process. Uh, and it probably took them several days to make that journey to be sacrificing an animal every six steps. I think, honestly, that's probably a good prophetic picture, good example maybe of what we should do and how we should live our life every single week. We go six days and then we sacrifice one for God's kingdom. Well, I'm going to be in church. I'm going to be, I'm going to, on Sunday, I'm going, to, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord every six days, every six steps, if you will. We pause and we say, Lord, we're going to acknowledge your presence in reverence to you, and we're going to sacrifice something. But the rest of the story, um, it brings incredible insight to the heart of pursuing God's presence. So point number one is this. Choose relationship over rituals. If I'm going to pursue God's presence... I've got to make a decision that I'm going to pursue relationship with God more than the rituals of what has been done. And so let me give you some examples here to kind of break this down. Um, as David is bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, and David's celebrating, but all of Israel is celebrating with David. It's a fascinating story. Eventually, though, they come to a fork in the road, and 
they're bringing back the Ark of Israel. They come to a fork in the road. Uh, the tabernacle of Moses was set up in Gibeon. And by religion, by rituals, if you will, that's where the Ark should have been returned, to Gibeon. But here we see David, rather than doing the ritualistic thing and taking it to the tabernacle of Moses, where it was supposed to go, David does the intimate thing. Rather than the ritualistic thing, this is where it should go, I'm going to do the intimate thing. And he brings it to the center of Israel's culture and identity, which is Jerusalem, the city of David. So in doing so, he's saying, Lord, I know this is where we've done it in the past. This is where this has gone in the past. But Lord, I believe you're showing something for us that I want to pursue at a more personal level for not just me and my family, but for our nation. And he says, I'm going to do the intimate thing. And here's what's interesting is that for the next 40 years, there are two tabernacles coexisting in Israel at the exact same time. Two tabernacles. In fact, we see this in 2 Chronicles 1, verse 3 and 4. This is after uh, some while, uh, while later. It says, And Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tent of meeting of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. That's the tabernacle of Moses. It was there. But verse 4 says this, But David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim, I'm sure I butchered that, but that, bear with me here, to the place that David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. David brought it somewhere else, but also there was a place for it, the, the, um, the tabernacle of Moses. It was set up for the ark of God to go there. We have two different tabernacles set up. So we already see the tabernacle of Moses. It has its three compartments. It has the, they're doing the sacrifices. There's the priesthood. There's ceremonies. There's worship. There is a compartment in the tabernacle of Moses called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. But what's interesting is that even though it's called the Most Holy Place, there is no tabernacle in there. Yet they continue to worship there. They continue to go through all of the sacrifices, through the ceremonies. There's still a priesthood there. And this is taking place around the clock. But here's the distinction, is that though the, the tabernacle of Moses is set up in Gibeon, there is no presence in that tabernacle because there was no ark. There was no presence there. It looked like there was, but there was not. And this is where it's interesting we see that where there's no presence, but then there's this, this newer tabernacle in Jerusalem that David has set up. And it looks a little bit different. It's a little bit more wide open. And he, he kind of changes the priesthood and, and there's 4,000 Levites now that are the priests and the ark of God, the presence of God is under that tabernacle in a tangible and a manifest way. And this is the only place where we see the ark of God. And in doing so at this place, that's where the presence of God is within the tabernacle of David. So we're split here. David has brought back the Ark of God, and now we have two different tabernacles. One of them has the Ark, which has the presence of God, but the other one does not. And as I think about this, and as you kind of think about it even in your own life, how must the, the other priests feel that are working at the tabernacle of Moses? Right? They know the Ark of God is in Jerusalem, but yet they are still there doing their job, doing the rituals, doing their, their duty, and, and yet they know the presence of God is elsewhere. How must they have felt? I don't know about you, but I would be thinking, if God's presence isn't here, what are we even doing? Why, why, why are we even here? I think this, what we see in the Old Testament here, these two tabernacles, 
I think this is a pretty, pretty good prophetic picture of today. I think it's a pretty good prophetic picture of today, and here's what I mean. In today's world, just because a, a building says church doesn't mean that it houses the presence of God. That should be heartbreaking to us, and I hope it is for you. But I've had experiences, and I've been in, and I've talked with pastors where I just think we're so consumed with, with, with the rituals of Christianity, with the tradition, with the check boxes, that we are missing housing the presence of God. And from the outside, it looks the same. But when you go in, you can realize there's no, God's not in this. There's no presence here. He's not dwelling here. He's not moving here. There's no fruit here. And Vance Havner, he said it this way. He said, the devil's not fighting religion. He's too smart for that. He is producing a counterfeit Christianity, so much like the real one, that good Christians are afraid to speak out against it. For so long in Israel's history, what they've done things this way, and this is how we approach God, and this is how we do things. And then David shows up, and, and prompted by the Spirit of God, he changes some things. And God's, God is for it. Eventually it leads to the temple, but here's what happens. Things are shifting now. And now we're brought to a breaking point of how are we going to move forward? Am I going to just choose what we've always done because that's what I'm supposed to do, quote unquote? Or am I going to say, Lord, I want to be where your presence is no matter what? And in our personal lives, that's what the decision we must, we must make. Where will I choose to be? In ritualistic Christianity or will I be in a place where I say, Lord, I am going to pursue you. I want to be in your presence no matter what. And here's the, here's the thing we have to realize. Ritualistic Christianity, it isn't God's desire for you. The ritualistic Christianity isn't God's desire for you. It's not enough to get you into the presence of God for all eternity. God wants relationship. He wants you, not just the things you can do for him. He wants you. He wants intimacy with you. And this is why we choose relationship over rituals because it's not enough to just look like a Christian. I have to have a relationship with God. It's not enough to just look like a church. We have to house his presence every Sunday. It's not enough to just look like a believer. I need to walk in belief of what I see in God's word. This is what Jesus said. And he talks about this perfectly in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not all who sound religious are really godly people. They may refer to me as Lord, but still won't even get into heaven. For the decisive question is whether they obey my Father in heaven. What does he say? A lot of people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. A lot of people say, yeah, Jesus is Lord. But they don't lack the fruit of God's presence. The fruit of his presence, meaning the fruit of the Spirit. Wherever I go, everywhere that I go, Am I producing the kind of fruit that people say, man, that person has been with God? That's exactly what they said about the disciples. They looked at him and they said they're uneducated, they are untrained men, but they're out here healing people, preaching in boldness. What's the only explanation? They have been with Jesus. What? They've been in his presence. And for us, it's no different. When I can, I'm consumed with passion about being in the presence of God, it changes my behavior. This is what Jesus said in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why do I do everything with God in mind? Why do I do everything in my, my ability, to the best of my ability, to obey him, to obey his word? It's not to earn salvation. It's not to say, well, if I do enough good things, then God will let me into heaven someday. No, that's not it. It's not to earn salvation. No, it's because I love him. It's because I love him. Why do I love him? Because he first loved me. And when I experience his love, I love him in return. And guess what? It radically changes the fruit of my life, which is my behavior. It's my passions. It's my desires. It's my, um, my habits that I have. It radically changes me from the inside out. Think about it. Any healthy marriage is a great picture of this. Why do I walk with? Why do I care for? Why do I selflessly serve my spouse? Because I have to? No. If I have to, I would say it's not a very <laughs> healthy relationship. No, because I love my spouse. Why do I look for ways to make my spouse's life or day easier every day? What's one thing I can do to make their life easier? What's one thing I don't normally do that I could, man, I could help out in this way? Why do I do those things? Because I have to? No. Because I love my spouse and I say, I love you enough to back it with action. And I'm going to let my love for you become action in my life. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you love me, keep my commandments. Show, like not, not prove it to me, but it should be visible. It should be visible. King David, what does he do? He chooses religion over rituals. And what I said last week is very true with right here. Last week I said this, every great move of God, it begins when someone takes personal responsibility and they decide what we have done and have half-heartedly continued to do is not going to work for where we're going. That's exactly what David did. Lord, I know you're, you're doing something in our, in our nation. And he says, what we've done and half-heartedly continued to do and the lack of respect we've put on the ark in your presence, Lord, it's not, gonna, it's not going to be enough for where I know you want us to go. And when a group of people or an individual even says, I am going to make a decision to pursue presence and a relationship with God over a checkbox religion, things begin to shift. Families begin to change. Cities and regions begin to shift, and God's kingdom is furthered. And we want to see nations experience revival. That's where it begins, with the individual to say, what we've done, what we've half-heartedly done, is not enough. Lord, we want your presence in an intimate way, in a real way, in our lives. And this is why I would say we're in a unique season as a church right now. We're growing we're still a young church. We're just a little over, you know, three years old or so, and, and we're, we're growing, and we're seeing a lot of things, and we may not have at this point, we may not have all the buildings. We may not have all the programs. We may not have all the staff or the budgets or, or the smoke machines and the moving lights, but I'm going to tell you something. In this season, God has continued to remind me that as long as we continually pursue and remain in his presence, we have all that we need, and we have more than enough. But here's what happens in America specifically. We want the stuff. If we have the stuff, God must be moving. But God's word shows us the opposite. God is saying, will you give up the stuff to worship with a genuine heart? 
And you say, I don't need this stuff. Lord, if I have you, I have enough. Even better, I have more than enough because I have your presence, which is point number two, is this. Pursue presence over perishables. So if you have your Bible, go to Exodus 33. I'll get to the verse in a second, but leave that point up there for a second. Pursue presence over perishables. Moses in this story, here's, here's Moses and Moses is pursuing, he's, he's pleading for the presence of God in Exodus 33. And we're gonna read the story in a second. Let me give you some context before we read it though so you know where we're at. The children of God, the children of Israel, um, they, they've created a golden calf, the chapter before. So here's Moses, he's leading the people. They've been freed from slavery in Egypt. God is giving them a new covenant. Moses is on the mountain talking with God there's, there's booming, there's clouds, there's fire, there's so much going on. Yet at the bottom of the mountain, here are the children of Israel. They are taking the very gold that God has blessed them with and they are turning it into a golden calf to worship. They're taking the very gold that God's blessed them with and they're turning it into something to worship while Moses is getting a new covenant with God. They took the blessing of God and they exalted it over the one who blessed them with it. And it's so easy to look at the children of Israel and say, man, what is wrong with those people? But don't we do that? The things God's blessed us with and we pursue it more than the one who blessed us with it. Exodus 33 verse one says this, God said to Moses, now go, get on your way from here. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, Head to the land which I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give this to your descendants. God says, I will send an angel ahead of you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the, the, the Hivites, the Jebusites. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But look at this, but I won't be with you in person. You're such a stubborn, a hard-headed people, lest I destroy you on the journey. Stop here. We can read this passage with poor perspective, and this is what most people do. God's angry. How could you serve a God like that? He says he's gonna destroy people. He's a, hard, he's a hard God. He's a hard God to serve. We can read this with a poor perspective and think that he's harsh and he's mean and he's angry, but a biblical perspective shows this. God is faithful. And here's what I mean. The children of Israel were in sin with how they were doing. God's given them new commandments and they're literally at the bottom of the mountain uh, going, uh, neglecting, um, sinning against the first two, three. He's, he, they're literally going against what God is actively saying at the top of the mountain. They're living in sin and doing so they're pushing away the presence of God. But what does God say? even though you've turned your back on me after all I've done for you, even though you're sinning, you're pushing me away, you'd rather have a man-made God, I will still be faithful to the promise that I made to your ancestors. That's the faithfulness of God. 
That's the faithfulness of God. See, a biblical perspective sees, man, God, you are faithful even when we're not. You're faithful to your promise even when we're not, when we didn't deserve it. When the children of Israel, they didn't deserve it, man. Look at what they were doing, how they turned their back on God. Yet, he said, I will even send an angel ahead of you. Because of the promise I made to your ancestors, I'm gonna give you the land, the blessing, the stuff. He says, I'm even gonna fight for you, but I won't be with you. I'll give you the stuff, but I won't be with you. You can have the stuff, but you won't have my presence. And it's a good reminder of just because someone has stuff doesn't mean they have presence. Just because there's stuff doesn't mean there's presence. But look at the response of Moses, a man of God. In verse 12, we're gonna pick up in verse 12, Exodus 33, 12. Moses said to God, look, you tell me, <laughs> lead this people, but you don't let me know whom you're going to send with me. You tell me, I know you well and you are special to me. Well, if I'm so special to you, let me in on your plans. That way I will continue being special to you. Don't forget, look at what he says to God. This is your people, your responsibility. Whew, Moses is getting bold here, right? These are your people, your responsibility. Look at verse 14. Look at God's response to that kind of prayer. God said, my presence will go with you. I'll see the journey to the end. Moses said, if your presence doesn't take the lead here, call this trip off right now. How else will it be known that you're with me in this, with me and your people? Stop here. Moses gets bold in his response, but look at God's response to that bold prayer. This is a great insight into God's judgment, but also his mercy. He says, I'm not gonna be with you, but when one righteous person says, Lord, <laughs> remind, I'm gonna remind you of your promises. I'm gonna remind you of who you are. I'm gonna remind you of your character. See, they continually sinned and they forced away God's presence, but Moses pleads with God to still move on their behalf in spite of Israel, the Israelites' continual mess ups. And here's what I want you to see as I wrap up here. Moses pleaded with God that he would not deal with them in such a way that it would smear God's character or God's promises to them. What does he say? How will people know that you are the living God if you treat us this way? How will people know that you that we are your chosen people if you treat us this way? How will people know that you're for us if you don't go with us? And he's coming to God and he's pleading saying, Lord, I don't want other people to have a misconception of you and who you are and your character. That's a bold prayer. Lord, if you don't do this, people, people aren't gonna know who you are. They will never be able to understand who you are. They will never understand or have any remotely idea of who you truly are. And Moses here, he reminds God of his promises and it sounds silly, but it's biblical. He reminds God of his promises and it sounds silly, but it's biblical. Isaiah 62 verse six says, you are, are his servants, you who are his servants and by your prayers, put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. Keep not silence. And church, this has to be our prayer. This has to be our prayer as a church. How Moses responded. Number one, he says, Lord, if you're not going with us, 
let's call this thing off. Lord, if your presence isn't here, we're not gonna waste our time. We want you, not stuff, not a cool experience on Sunday mornings. We want you. That's it. That's all. That's the most important thing. And if you're not gonna come with us, Lord, call this thing off. But he also comes and he reminds God of his promise. And I love it. Lord, don't forget your promises. And that has to be our prayers of church. Lord, don't forget your promises. You said in your word that the prodigals would come home. Lord, we know people in our lives that are far from you. We know people that know better, but they are running from you. Lord, we're gonna remind you, Lord, would this be a place that you would draw them home? Would this be a place that your spirit would move and bring them back into your family, God? We're gonna remind God of his promises. Lord, you said that by your word, your bodies would be healed. Let this be a house of healing because your presence is here. Because of the, the mighty name of Jesus is here to work. Lord, we're gonna remind you of your promises. Lord, you said that marriage covenants could be renewed and be restored. Let this be a place of healing in relationships. Let this be a place of strength in marriages, God. Why? So it brings you glory. Because when people get healed and marriages are restored and salvation is had, what do we have to say about it besides look what God did? Look what God did. Look what his presence did. We don't want to be an empty tabernacle. Where it says church out front, but his presence is never here. Not at abide. Not in this place. Lord, we're here for you. Scripture says in Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I want us to invite people to a church, not because of how great the experience was, not because of how fancy the stage was, not because of how good the performance was, but because the presence of God is here every time we gather. Will you come to church with me? I promise you're gonna meet God there. I promise God is gonna move in your life. I promise he's gonna speak to you. His presence is there and where his presence is, his power is. We will be a church that pursues presence over perishables. Presence over perishables. Because I'm gonna tell you something, TVs come and go, okay? Lights come and go, signage, videos, Smoke machines, people, it, come, it, it comes and goes. But the presence of the Lord is forever. That's where we will dwell forever, for all eternity. And God invites us to say, start now, start now. That's why the goal of Abide Church is not to have 100 people gather together. The goal is not 500 people, it's not 1,000 people. We're a growing church. That's not our goal. The goal is not more stuff, it's not more stuff. I promise you we're gonna to continue to grow <laughs> because where God's presence is, people are hungry for his presence. But that's not our goal. If we can get 500 people, we're doing it. No, was his presence here? Was his presence here? If it was, we're winning. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> that's where I wanna be. The goal is that God would be glorified, his presence would be known. Not that we would have more stuff. So here's the pursuit of presence. God is saying, would you invite me in to your life? Would you invite me in not just to check religious check boxes, but you, would you invite me in and choose me over stuff? Would you choose me over the other things and the distractions in your life? Would you say, Lord, I don't care if I have it or if I don't, but if I have you, I have everything. And God is saying, watch, watch what I will do. Watch how I will respond to a heart that says, Lord, we just 
want you. If we want to see lives change in miraculous signs and wonders and marriages restored and lost sons and daughters brought home, we must continue to pursue the presence of God. And these last two points is it, choose, the, choose relationship over, over rituals. I don't change my actions first to get close to God second. Well, if I clean my life up enough, I can get close to God. No, I draw close to God first. I repent, I humble myself. I experience his love and in doing so, I return love by saying, Lord, I'm gonna let it change my actions and produce fruit in my life. Pursue presence over perishables. We're not here to impress people with more stuff. We're here to glorify God, worship him and experience his presence, amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and, and we thank you for your presence in this place today. I thank you that you've met us here. And Lord, I thank you that you're just getting started with Abide Church. Lord, I thank you for bringing us to this place as a church, Lord, we are hungry for more of you. Lord, if we have you, I thank you. You've put it on our heart. If we have you, we have all that we need and more than enough. Lord, I pray today that this heart would not just be for our church, but would be for us as individuals. And I pray for anyone in here, Lord, who is not walking in your presence on a daily basis, whether they've never done it, made you the Lord of their life, or maybe they did it one time, but they've drifted, they've done their own thing and they've been walking away from you. Lord, I pray that today is their day to come back into your presence and to experience your love and your goodness and your mercy. Let today be the day. And I thank you for the abundant fruit that's gonna come from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out abidechurch.com.